My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 479. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And I always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, um, Sweetie's going to lead the charge as usual. We're going to talk about a term called equifinality. Did you get my text that I sent you about it? I, yeah, I got the YouTube okay, thing. Good. And then uh, simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, we are uh, doing a, an event in Downers Grove uh, on February 21st titled Bringing Sex Education into the 21st Century from 7 till 8.30. If you're interested, go to our show notes and click on the link, and then you will be able to register. I think it's free. So you can't beat that price. Zero. Price is zero. Zero price. Maybe it's not. I should probably click on the link before I start. Uh, (laughs) Everyone's like, but they told us it was free. (laughs) I'm going to click on the link. I'm pretty sure it is, though. I think it's good. Um... And uh, we have some other fun things planned, uh, like the conference, which is coming up less than a month away. I know. Literally less than a month. We kind of crossed over the month away thing. <laughs> the threshold. The old, the old month and away thing. Oh, it's it's a, uh, I think it's a donation only, zero to $10. So I think you can come for free if you want. It's a zero to 10. But so donations are nice. Donations What does it go nice. toward? I don't know. Navigate, to probably. navigate, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so, sweetie, I guess we should just jump right in. Okay. Um, simplicity and equifinality. Okay. So, I, I'm just going to jump in with equifinality because it's the most fun word. Um, to you. To me. Uh, actually, you know what I'm going to jump in with? I'm going to, everyone's like, oh my God, just jump in. Uh, this is what I'm going to jump in with. So, we actually did a show about this. I don't know. We've been doing this eight years, so I don't know what year we did this. But today in the Book of Awakening, in Mark Nepo's Book of Awakening, his, uh, the focus is on, um, compassion, actually it's on simplicity, um, compassion and patience. Okay. Simplicity, compassion. I'm writing this down. So I remember well, simplicity, compassion. Okay. Let me read you a Lao Tzu quote. Okay. That'll help you bring Who's it together. Who's Lao Tzu, sweetie? How are you saying it? I say, sh- you said Su and Lao- I said Chu. I don't say Lao Tzu. Lao Tzu. Lao Tzu. Okay. I think you're right. As always. I like your pronunciation better. It feels righter. <laughs> <laughs> Simplicity, compassion. What's the third one? Uh, patience. Patience. Okay. So he said, I always say Lao Tzu, though. Lao Tzu, Lao Tzu. Okay. You should um, pull it up on, you know, there's a Google thing where it teaches you how to pronounce something. No. So just put it in and it'll play it for you. All right. So do that before I read my quote. Lao Cha, Chinese. Lao Chao. Not cha. Lao Cha, Chinese. Cha. Lao Cha. So neither of us were right. Um, no, I guess. We should ask Millie because she's Chinese. Yes. And she knows that language because I was in her car and she was talking to her mom in Chinese. Really? Yeah, and it was kind of cool. I've never been in the car with anybody that spoke Chinese before. Well, you know. Yeah. It's I. It's a hard language to learn. I've heard, obviously, if you learn it natively, it you know, you just know it. But at York High School, our girls are... That's the school, the high school in our town. Um, Chinese is one of the languages, and some of my daughter's friends take it. Where do you even begin? Where do you even begin with that language? The alphabet. You start from the very beginning. And they draw in pictures. I I sucked at writing letters. Think how bad I would be at Chinese penmanship. But you're assuming that, but maybe your brain is like built for it, for all you know. Sweetie, my brain's not built. (laughs) 
to draw any pictures. Have you seen my pictures? I, your pictures are pretty poor, but I would call their what they're drawing letters. It's not pictures. It's that's the the language. No, so, it's not letters. It's pictures. Okay, we're moving on. Here we go. <laughs> I have just so this is Lao. Ciao. Ciao. <laughs> I want to be able to say it right. I get frustrated. Um. Here we go again. Okay. Lao Cha. Lao Cha. Okay. Lao Cha. So he uh, wrote the Tao, as you may already know. I have just three things to teach, simplicity, patience, and compassion. These are your greatest treasures, simple in actions and in thoughts. You return to the source of being. Okay? So simplicity, patience, and compassion. That's all. Those are the like the most basic hardwiring. Okay. Okay. So, I, I, yeah, maybe that is our hard wiring, but our soft wiring is that we're not simple, we're not compassionate, we're not patient. And I totally disagree with you. Right. But I say our society values the other parts. Well, this is kind of what I want to get into. All right, let's is, get into okay, it. Okay. So, I, I don't even know how to, like, which direction to go into. Okay. I'll do it this way. So, you and I, it's been a long time since we've had a since baby. Since I rock and rolled? No, since we've had a child. But I, with our children, did a lot of reading about natural birth, correct? Yes. And books, videos, books. DVDs, podcasts. Yes. Well, not podcasts. Hypnobirthing, the whole works. Um, and I can't say that any of the births of my children were exactly what they I thought they'd be. So they you actually, had a plan. I, I did, and none of those plans worked with any of them. But that really wasn't the point. What I learned was how... We are hard built, hardwired, how everything clicks one way and it clicks the next thing into, you know, beginning, meaning like natural birth has a natural flow where when the baby like comes through the birth canal, then hormones are released and then that helps our milk flow, which helps the next thing happen, which, which helps the connection. Mm -hmm. There's like a natural process yeah. and even way before the baby comes out, like, yeah. you know, there is, there's things that happen without us doing anything. Did nothing. And now I know for some of you who are like, that wasn't the case for me or, you know, I had a cesarean or whatever. I understand that. Like I said, mine weren't exactly what I thought they would be either. But the way our body is built is it's not like, you know, way long ago where people who live in different places are like, I have to have Pitocin yeah. or else I can't have a baby. That's not true. Pitocin actually begins the process, but that's not... Forces the process. Correct. That's a better language. Okay. So what I'm saying is in a natural birth process, one thing triggers the next thing, triggers the next thing. And if we're in that flow- A sequence. Then there, there's a, it all occurs, mm -hmm. right? And even like, you know, something I learned in hypnobirthing, which I'm lucky I learned with Skylar because as you all may, knew, may know, she, I gave birth to her in our car, mm -hmm. is that you, when you can go into a certain place, your body will actually protect you partially- from the pain, it, it diminishes the pain. But if you are highly alert and nervous and stressed, the, you feel it all. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, there's there's these natural things that actually even decrease your pain, you know, feelings. So my point in saying this is, when you are in a natural flow, one thing triggers the next thing, triggers the next thing. Why I'm saying that is because, like, say with our children, okay. Can we, I can I go back real quick? Okay, to birth. Yes, to birth. Um, obviously, uh, birthing a child is painful. Correct. There's, there's physical Correct. pain. But, it, it diminishes, suffer, not takes it away. But the suffering, which is piling on top of the physical pain, is Correct. what a lot of moms 
uh, do, not because they're doing anything wrong, no. but they're like anxious and they've heard about how much it's going to hurt and all this other stuff. Right. And with your hypnobirthing experience, because you, you know, you, that was a, our third kid, uh-huh. um, you kind of used information and integration. I, on, it was a practice that I worked uh, on for six months. Right. Yeah. And, and just real quick. So what was your experience after kind of learning how to get calm during this very what can be a very unnerving experience. It, that I got to nine centimeters in my house mm-hmm. and then got in the car and the actual giving birth process in the car was, uh, that was painful. That mm-hmm. was a scary kind of out of body experience. But everything before that, and part of it was because we're in the car running through red lights. Yeah. Like you gotta, that's the context is that you are, you know, where we are. Like yeah. if I had been, in a comfortable position with my midwife in a calm room, mm. maybe it wouldn't have been right. such a powerful feeling. Right. Do you see what I right. mean? But right. I was scared to death right. because of where I was located, which was on the floor of a minivan. Right. So my point is, but the whole point getting there, when I was laying in my bed, practicing hypnobirthing, I got to nine by yeah. myself. And when I say by myself, everybody does it by themselves. Right. But I mean, without really anyone around. Um, I certainly wasn't you helping. Were, yeah, nobody was there. And so... The, I was there, but I wasn't helping. Well, you were trying to get things arranged, if yeah. I remember correctly. Gosh, it's, it's 11 years ago. Yes, it was. <laughs> it's a long time ago. But, you know, my point is, is that there... And not... And life is messy, so not everything can go the way it's... And, you know, going back to what you were saying, like with JC, my whole plan was to have natural birth. And then once birth the started, the I was tub. like, no, thank you. Give me the epidural. This is scary and painful. Yeah. And because I didn't have the practice I needed, and and I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. Like I, in that moment, all I wanted was to make sure things went, you know, yeah. went okay. Because I did not feel I could do it by right. myself in that yeah. moment. So anyway, so let's. So are you okay with me yes. leaving birth for a second? I was just using birth as kind of a right. you know an example of yeah. how things kind of flow mm-hmm. if you go with the flow mm-hmm. and how there's natural things that occur. Swim downstream. Correct. So I was having a talk with a girlfriend yesterday about things regarding things like grit and learning how to you know help our kids like really you know toughen up around something and work hard. And what I realized is that if you naturally are interested in something, yeah. If you if you have this these because I think everybody comes into the world with some kind of native genius. It may not be math, but there's something that that everybody knows and understands, and it may not be something that comes up on a standardized test. Um, like for me, I came into the world knowing emotions and people's feelings. Nobody really cared about that in school, but it sure helps my life now, right? Right. So that was my native genius, I, you know, like what, and, and everybody's got their, their own thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it could be a mixture of things. It's not one thing. Um, and so, you know, we come in with that. And when we know that in ourselves, when we feel that we're obviously, it's so natural. It's so like it, it brings, it makes us come alive. It's what we know how to talk about. It's what we understand. So grit becomes a natural process with it because we want to focus on it. We want to do the hard work. If we run into obstacles, we want to overcome them. It's like a natural flow of energy because the, in this is, I'm going back to simplicity. If you're simple about what you know you love and who you are, then things like grit and determination, it flows naturally from that process versus, this is what I'm trying to get yeah. to. If you say to your kids, you should be good at math. 
you need to do better in math. And then we inauthentically teach them grit. <laughs> like, right. You need to make sure that you get an A in math. You need to, you need to be gritty because grit is what I learned makes everyone succeed. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to force you to, or in whatever way, shape and form, either through, you know, you, you can't have your phone or you can't play video games or you can't do whatever to make you be determined about something that you don't care about anyway. And then we say, my kid doesn't have grit or my kid's not determined because we're trying to force them to be determined about something that isn't meaningful to them inherently. Does that make sense? It does. And I feel like, well, first of all, you gave two different opposing examples of how a kid can be gritty. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking about the Philadelphia Flyers mascot. I love that gritty. (laughs) He's so cute. Everybody Google gritty Philadelphia Flyers and this kind of weird random mascot that'll pop up and Colbert makes fun of him. But now I think... He, I oh, think, I think he's accepted. Now. I think he's accepted now. In the beginning, it was like, <laughs> "What is this bad joke?" It's just this like weird looking big mascot. He's got big eyes. Yes, he's just gritty. <laughs> he is gritty. <laughs> um, I feel like you gave kind of like the one that we're hoping to cultivate, right. which is inherent uh, work discipline that comes from the inside, right? And then you have the outside working in mm-hmm. where we we force... say you should care about this right 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 so i and this is uh, and I, we're not going to talk about angela duckworth but she wrote a book on grit didn't mm-hmm. she she did um and doesn't grit get uh misconstrued a lot in the parenting genre well, or no a little bit in kind of what i'm talking about like the the research about grit is real yeah like so what angela duckworth wrote about and we actually did a whole show about carolyn somebody else wrote a book about grit who was in the same class as angela duckworth carolyn just look up carolyn grit okay. you'll find her because we did a whole show about her book um it's not that grit's not a real thing. It's how we try to apply it in kind of like an inauthentic way where we say... Carolyn Miller? Yes, Carolyn Miller's okay. book. Um, she talks about grit too and about if you have... there's, I guess there's like a natural grittiness that can be triggered and, in us right. when we realize what we love. And I'll give you an example. When I was doing work that I wasn't good at, first of all, let's just be you know, let's mm-hmm. be truthful about it. I was constantly like not doing a good job because I just didn't enjoy it very much. Um, I would be like, no one should work on the weekends. You know, I'm not, I don't want to work on the weekends or, you know, work is too heavy or too stressful or work is horrible and all these kind of things. Right. And then when I started doing work, I love I don't even know what the weekend is and what Monday is. Right. Meaning that sometimes I'm working on Sunday morning, not because I feel forced to, right. but because it's what I enjoy. Or like, you know, you and I talk about the conference all the time. There's a lot of detail work. It's a pretty monotonous process. There's a lot of disappointment. You know, people like, you know, there's people who are don't have a hotel room or people who need to get a refund or people. It's kind of constant, yeah. you know, plus managing all the speakers. And it's very, but you know what? I don't think a thing about it. And that's kind of a gritty thing for me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll take it on. I'll take it on. I'll take it on. You put me in another line of work, I would have been like, oh, I'm just not good at this. Mm -hmm. But I care about this. Yeah. And not just because it's a conference. I care about the show. I care about my writing. And so there's this natural grittiness that I have that sometimes when I look at the week and how much you and I get done, I think to... if. If we told someone else all the things that we work on and all the things we teach and all the things we write and all the things we do, people would be like, how do you do that? Because it's what we want to do anyway. Well, and I feel like what you're describing is the why. 
like it's not the what you're doing, it's why you're doing it. Yeah, that's and true. And you too. are doing all this work and it doesn't seem like work. This is like I've talked about the, when George Lucas was interviewed by Oprah mm-hmm. and Oprah's like, well, how do you know that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing? He's like, it's when you go to work and you look up at the clock and it's five o'clock and you realize that you forgot to eat lunch that day. And that's my life. Right. And I mean, that's not true. That's that's too like, oh, I'm like George Lucas every day. What I mean is that that happens more often than it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. I definitely have days where something is a little more tedious or I'm trying to come up with a new lesson plan for my college students. Like some things are a little more challenging, but far as far as like sitting down to write, I can come down here at like noon. And like you said, all of a sudden mm. it's five or six. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be about career, by the way. Yeah. Like for those of you who are like, but yes, that's great, Kathy, but I have this job that I have to go to because it's paying our bills and whatever. I understand that. And maybe there is a, there is, you know, there's things you and I have to do all the time that are not about our career that we would prefer to not do. So I get that. But it's this idea of putting ourselves down Mm -hmm. because something is tedious or difficult rather than recognizing that it's a process that's not as natural as something that we love. Yes. You know what I mean? It's, It's a little less... You know, we'll be like, oh, I just don't have any determination. I don't have any responsibility. I don't have, of course you do. Mm-hmm. But maybe in this situation, like if you, if someone put you in charge of a committee or, you know, that they said you have to be president of the PTA and it's something you don't want to do, then yeah, things might fall through the cracks or you may not, you may not feel determined to do it because it's not really your soul soul's work. So I, I, there's people out there that are listening right now and I call this the zone of genius. Okay. Like the, the zone of genius is something that you just are, are good at because you like it. It's yes. like all the different, all, every, all the planets are in alignment for you to do this right. work. It feels good. You it's, came in that way. You've always been interested. So there's some people that like, I know what my zone of genius is. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people like, God, I don't know what it is. So I have a resource for our listeners who don't know what it is. What you do is you email a handful of friends or coworkers or whatever, if you're trying to struggle with, if you're struggling with what it is that your zone of genius is, and you just ask them a few questions like, what what, have, what do I talk about? Uh, or no, I ask myself, what do you do that makes you most energized or happy? Or when I experience, when you, when you experience me at my best, uh, the exact thing I'm doing is blank. Yes. Okay. Uh, what do you see as a special skill I'm gifted with? What are your three favorite qualities you see in me? These are questions you can ask loved ones or co- coworkers to help you figure out what your zone of genius is. Because sometimes we're so close to, we're so, we're living in our life. We don't have any objectivity right. to it. We're too busy. We're like, this is just what I do. This right. isn't, this is, you know, people who like love animals and they're with dogs all mm-hmm. the time or they're, you know, your sister loves cats and it'll be like, well, that's just my animal thing. Well, yeah, that's your, that's where you're, it doesn't mean you have to get paid to do it, but that is where you come alive right. the most. That is your gift. And one thing I will share that was really helpful to me and a lot of the women I work with is that. There are some people that don't have just one passion. Sure. Okay. And uh, Liz Gilbert gave a really good talk. And I can't remember where she gave the talk. Maybe it was a super soul thing um, or an Oprah thing. But it was about how she realized that she kept giving this speech all over the place about how you got to find your passion Mm -hmm. and you won't have any joy in your life till you find your passion. And then she started meeting women who said, you're making me feel worse Mm -hmm. about who I am. And she's like, that's not my intention at all. They're like, because I don't have one passion. 
I find something that I love and then it leads me to another thing, then it leads me to another thing. And she started calling people who have that butterflies mm. or hummingbirds, mm. not butterflies, hummingbirds, because they fly from one thing to the next to the next. And what do hummingbirds do? They suck like nectar yeah. or whatever and they actually pollinate, yeah. you know? And so these people who are who have this curiosity that moves them from thing to thing to thing to thing, they're creating ripple effects too, just by you know their their native genius is curiosity, yeah, and moving from one thing. So for those of you who are like, it's not just one thing; it doesn't have to be. Right. Your native genius is figuring something out and moving to the next thing. Wouldn't you say most people's things is not one thing? I don't or think no? it is. I mean, but it can be. Like you can find a core element, yeah. which is why I'm using for the people who are hummingbirds, I'm using the word curiosity. Yeah. Their core element is I get interested in something and I just want to move there and learn it. Yeah. And there's I, there's a lot of women in my women's circle like that. That's why I've been really able to you know, learn more about, you know, there's some women in my women's circle who have so many, they're literally, uh, we, we wouldn't say a jack of all trades, we'd say a jackie of all trades, you know, like they have so many skill sets because they've, you know, had so many different kind of experiences. Right. Um, so some people, but for me, I know that there is a core element through everything I do. Mm -hmm. So it's not about I was born to teach. It's that emotional awareness and self-awareness is what I've always understood. And, and then everything else is interwoven through You that. got it. So I may do this. I may do a podcast. I may teach, but that's the core element. Yeah. And so, and for some people, that's the truth too. Yeah. And then for some people, it's not their career. It's that they, they love their dogs or that they have a green thumb and they have this beautiful garden or that they, you know, help people, um, you know, elderly people on, you know, the weekend or mm -hmm. that they, so do you see, like, sure. I don't want to get too focused around when I brought up simplicity. It wasn't so much about career choice. Yeah. <clears throat> it was about what simplicity teaches us is that when something is super duper hard and we're stressed and we're getting stomach aches and we're down on ourselves because we don't think we're good enough, maybe we're going against the flow. Swimming upstream. Correct. Yeah. And there's like Todd's just said, there's many different ways to say that. But when you love something, there's a simplicity to it. Mm -hmm. I would also say that with relationships. If you are in a relationship where, you know, obviously there's always, as you hear from Todd and I, you know, there can be challenges and different opinions and, you know, you know, dealing through our own individual stuff and partnership. But if everything is constantly difficult, then there's a question of, is this the right fit? And then that person is going to be like, yeah, I'm anxious or I'm sad or I'm unfulfilled. It's like, no kidding. You're spending majority of your life doing something that you don't like doing. Right. And that doesn't mean that you quit your job in a moment's notice to go write a book. Right. Um, there's a balance because we, we, you know, you have to keep your, your feet on the ground right. with your head in the sky. Yes. And there's a balance between, it's like root to rise, like a yoga term. Yes. Like you need to be grounded because if you just spin off the planet, like Gary Busey did in that one episode of, what was that show? Entourage. Entourage. <laughs> You're going to spin off this planet. Um, then that's not, it's, it, you know, and some people are like, no, no, I, I got to quit what I'm doing and go pursue my passion and I don't care what happens to me. That's fine. It's just not the way I would choose to do it. Well, and it's not fair if you have a family that you know, depends on you. And right. you're like, I'm just going to throw it all up in the air. Right. And because there's people. So, you know, for those of you who are like, I want to know more about that, get 
Liz, again, Liz Gilbert's obviously in the room with us here, not literally, but her energy is because her book, Big Magic, talks a lot about this, mm-hmm. like found, finding these creative impulses inside of you and understanding the simplicity of who you are and that all these things like responsibility and determination and grit live inside of you if they're being, if you're living as your most true self, then those things just show up like in natural birth. Yeah, Those things just show up. But when you're trying to do something inauthentically and you, you are trying to be something you're not, which is what, you know, going back to Mark Nepo, her, his thing today about simplicity. And I read the, you know, the quote from the Tao, I won't try and say Lao Tzu's name again. Um, the quote from the Tao that it was from his, his, uh, passage today was all about what we're talking about now, which is the simplicity of being who you are is a heck of a lot easier than trying to be someone different and what everybody thinks you should be or what you've been taught you should be and then trying to maintain that. That is so difficult. Like, you know, I was saying I was saying to Skylar this morning about pajama day. Um, she's like, uh, you know, well, what if I wear these and then or I change clothes and then what if everyone's like, why did you change clothes? And I'm like, well, don't come up with some like grand thing to say, just be like, I change clothes. Like the more you just be on the up and up about things instead of come up with a great thing to come back with a zinger Mm -hmm. or like a great excuse. Like I love it when clients of mine or friends of mine, they're like, okay, I'm going to go into this, you know, I have this conversation with my boss tomorrow. And when he says, blah, 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 then I'm going to say, blah, blah, blah. And then when he says, then you got to do this, then I'm going to come back with this. And I'm like, okay, you haven't even had the conversation yet and you've already created inauthentically everything you're going to say. Yeah. What if you go in and actually just be yourself, mm-hmm. not try to be the tough person, not try to be the person who's completely unaffected and just ask questions and listen and be yourself because what an easier way to go it, it, it I'm I'm not using the word easy like you don't want to work hard. What a more simple way to go through life. I have a friend who says, I don't lie because I, my memory's not good enough to remember all of them. Amen. It's just easier to. Um, I, I just said that to the girls the other day. We were, ta- I, I can't, we were sitting in the family room and I can't remember what it was about. And it doesn't matter because it was their business and I don't need to share it. But it was something about the same thing. Like, don't make something up because then you have to keep track of what you made up. Even if it was a harmless, and I'm putting this in quotes, white lie. If you're if you're like, oh, no, you know, it just try and be most authentic with your words. Yeah. So then you can you don't have to remember, you know, like, what did I tell this person? And, you know, the thing that I know teenagers run into a lot is you can say, oh, I can't be there or I'm not going to do that. And if there's a picture taken on social networking. You know, it's posted on Instagram. Everyone's like, hey, wait a second. Right. You were supposed to come with me here. So not only it's not about getting in trouble. It's about why not keep your life a little more chaos free and just do just be yourself and show up as yourself instead of working so hard to demonstrate to everybody how different you are. Well, because and the reason people do the demonstration is because they're seeking uh, approval and, you know, they're. Their ego is only feels good if the outside is looking at them in a certain way. Correct. When the value should be, hopefully, is intrinsic, and you don't need the approval or the security from other people. You have it already built inside of you. 
And then here's the thing, the reason why we do that, so people be like, well, why have I like, uh, you know, why do I think certain things are most important or why do I tell myself self stories that I have to be a certain way or else people won't accept me? These were lies that were told to you very early. Maybe it was not literal, like maybe it wasn't like overt, like I'm going to tell you a lie right now, but it's something you either watched in society or something you learned in your home or something you learned from a teacher or a coach or something that you were hurt by or traumatized by that taught you, I better not de- you know, show up as myself anymore. I better put up some armor and protect myself. It, it, I don't really know why. And sometimes we don't need to get the exact time or experience that, that made us change. Because when you were born, you just showed up as yourself. One, two, three. You know, I don't know exactly when the shift is where we start to be something other than what we are. But what I can tell you is a big part of middle age or what I always say is anywhere from about 35 to, you know, 60 or whatever mm-hmm. is an opportunity to unlearn all of that stuff. Yeah. So I kind of feel like if you did learn a lot of falseness um, about how you have to show up and pretend and pretend certain things are important and not be yourself and kind of live a more uh, upstream life, what middle age is, in, is unwinding all well, of that? Well, and what I say is what happens, I think, a lot to older people, and when I say older, let's say 70 and above, um, they start to get it. They start to understand how silly certain parts of their life was. Like they work so hard for what? Mm-hmm. And they they... They base their value upon their income or how they're perceived by others or their size of their house or how good their grandkids are doing. And then I think when you, I think when a lot of people get into their older age, they start softening up, especially for men, they soften up and figure it out. Some harden, some go the other way because they, they are, you know. They feel resentful yeah. or regretful. But I think a lot of people soften up. So my thing is like, let's just soften up now. Well, like and we don't what, have to wait. Exactly. And that's kind of what we do on the show. And I, I think that what we're always trying to talk about is I, I don't want to wait till then. Like maybe some for some people that's the path and it's exactly what it should be and there's no <clears throat> right or wrong. But when I turned around, it was after I had Cameron, I think – this kind of process started for me in my early 30s where I was like, what's all this about? Mm-hmm. And then you, it, it, can be, uh, it can be scary because yeah. a lot of things that you've based your life on, you're like, oh, wait, this doesn't matter or this isn't a value or this is not what I'm going to focus on anymore. And the, the ground can fall out. below you where you're like your foundation foundation, thank you where you don't have any grounding and you have to find new grounding um which i will tell you what what our grounding is do you know what our grounding is no idea yes you do yes i do it's the zen parenting uh foundation our grounding elements our grounding forces our grounding forces forces on our forces elements there, yeah. there's four of them and these are the things that the only things that i think have mattered as far as what I can, no matter what happens, I can rely on these things. And the first one is self-awareness, yeah. recognizing my own role in one. anything. The second one is um, compassion Boom. for myself and other people. The third one is mindfulness, Boom. remembering that nothing exists except right this moment. So anything in the past or the future doesn't even exist. And then the last thing is that connection is the only thing that matters. It's why we're here. It's why human beings are together on this earth. It's what means the most to us. And this is not something I'm making up. We know this through research. We're hardwired for connection. So when we feel disconnected, that's why we feel lonely. That's why we feel like nothing in life feels good because 
we don't have what we inherently need coming in, which is connection. Yeah. So, um, and connection can be obviously to other humans. It can be to animals. It can be to nature. It can be to, to oneself. To oneself. Um, it can be a connection to a higher source. Um, I remember your sister told me uh, when she was uh, in treatment for AA, however many years ago, um, that there was somebody in her group, because I don't think it was her, but his higher source was his drums mm -hmm. because it was the time that he felt, because yeah. a lot of people in AA, you know, it's it, there's a religious component or a God component. Yeah. And so if somebody doesn't feel as connected to that word or what it means to others, they find what brings them alive. And for him, it was his drums. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's connection what yeah. and connection to yourself and what means the most to you. Um, before we talk about equifinality, uh -huh. I want to talk about our partner yes, of the please. week, but with my partner of the week plug, I'm going to give you a uh, quiz Oh, that like you have, quizzes. you don't know it. But first, our partner of the week is Impact Baseline Testing. Um, the link, uh, which will be in the show, no show notes, is baselinetesting.com. It's basically a test, so if, God forbid, you get a concussion, uh, you have a baseline. So you ready for the quiz, sweetie? Okay, let's All go. right. True or false, so okay. it'll be easier for you. Sports injuries are the main cause of concussions. I'd say true. <laughs> it's not a good start. That is not a good start. What, what's, what's the main cause? Falls are the number one cause of concussion. Concussions happen after an impact to your head or after a whiplash type injury. You know, you know, I'm so thinking about kids because I have kids, but actually my aunt has a girlfriend who just fell off a ladder mm. and got a really bad concussion. There you go. Mm -hmm. um, question number two, okay. you're 0 for 1. Mm -hmm. uh, you always lose consciousness when you get a concussion. No. That's not true. Yeah. That's a bad clap. We got to get a better clap yeah. than that. Um, more than 90% of diagnosed concussions occur without a loss of consciousness. Question number three, you should never sleep after a concussion. You know, when JC hit her head, they told us to wake her up. I don't know. So I would say yes. <laughs> What's the answer? Uh, the fact is that sleep can help your brain get oh. the rest it needs after a concussion, especially in the first 24 to 48 hours. Why'd they tell us to wake As long up? as you're stable, you can sleep. So okay. these are the myths. Oh, I love it. Uh, number four, you must rest in a dark room to recover from a concussion. I'm going to say yes. Oh, good. Uh, actually, that's wrong. Oh. Wait a second. Are I'm, you serious that I'm wrong? I'm trying to do too many things. Uh, the fact is long periods of rest after concussion may not help recovery. A brief period of rest, about 24 to 48 hours, is enough. Gradual return to activity and well, active I was focusing on the dark room portion. Sweetie, it's a myth. It's false. Oh, all right. I'm, I'm believing our friends at I Impact do Baseline They testing. know more than I do. Last but not least, it takes months to recover from a concussion. True. <laughs> I am full of myths. It's uh, like mythology. 80% of people diagnosed with a concussion recover in three weeks or less. Good. That's, see, that's good news. So go to um, baselinetesting.com and put in Zen25 for a coupon of five bucks off. It's usually 20 bucks, goes down to 15. Um, I took the test, Skylar took the test. So now if we have a fall, we have something to work on, whereas you and JC and Cameron still need to take it, sweetie. I know. Right. JC already did hers. She did. Oh yeah, that's well. right. She did. Um, so I didn't. So I've always uh, mentioned my test taking skills are subpar. I think you went oh one for five. Unless it's literature, and you just let me write an essay, I'll fill up that blue book. 
You just give me another blue book. Yes. I'll just keep going. I could not stand blue book oh, tests. I love blue book tests. I would just fill that thing in. They're the worst. Okay, they're not. So what's equifinality? So equifinality is my new favorite word because I heard it on uh, Dax Shepard's podcast on Armchair Expert. Uh, he had that guy on Brett something. Uh, Brett Weinstein. Yes, and they were talking about what was the essence of that show. It was it was he uh, evolution. Dax Shepard. Dax Shepard does James Crawdaddy. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I just can't get the words out anymore and I have to laugh at myself because it's something I used to pride myself on. Um, so he occasionally has guests where he calls it experts on expert, right. where he just brings somebody on to talk about something research-based or something that's interesting to him. And they all tend to be very interesting to me. But this guy came on and Todd will bring up what his the essence of his talk was. But one of the words he just threw out really quickly, but I just latched onto was the word um, equifinality. And basically what that word means is that there are a lot of different ways to get to the same outcome. Yeah. Okay. So why does that matter? Because we, so let's talk about education. Let's talk about self-awareness. Let's talk about meditation. Let's talk about all these things that people tell us there's one path you have to follow and you have to, you know, go through these steps and then you have to get these certain grades and you have to do this. And it's this really narrow, like, way that probably I can't, I really don't know statistically, but maybe like 20% of the population, that's kind of their natural way. Mm. But for everybody else, they're trying to like shove a, you know, a round peg into a square hole or vice versa. It doesn't really fit the way that they would normally do things right. or that's right for them. Again, going back to simplicity, but we tell everyone that is the only way. Or for example, I've been meditating, I don't know, how many years, Todd? 20 years, 15 years, sure. something like that. And occasionally I will run into someone who will say to me, oh, I do TM, Transcendental Meditation, and that's the only real meditation. Yeah. And I think to myself, well, I mean, I've, I've studied TM and I there's some elements of it I think are really powerful, but I have some other ways that I get to a really calm place and they'll be like, oh, no, no, you know, this is the only way. This is ideology personified. It is. Or, you know, it, it could be a job, you know, oh, the only way you're going to get, and this was said to me, you know, the only way you're going to ever make money or be successful is if you go to business school, mm -hmm. which is like, makes well, me and, laugh even saying and it. And parents are really, really good at doing this to their I kids. Know. I know. There is only one way to be successful as if that's true at all. This is why I'm enjoying and appreciating things like gap years mm -hmm. where kids are like, instead of going straight to college and like getting into the, you know, I, I, like going from high school to college, it's kind of no wonder that kids like binge drink burn and out. burn out yeah. because it's like they haven't had any, they're on their own for the first time. This is the race to nowhere stuff. This is uh, getting to a good high school. You know, if you live in Chicago, we have friends that live in Chicago and you got to take all these, you know, thankfully we, li we live in a suburb where, you know, you go to York high school right, that's and you're your high in. School. Yeah. So like this starts in like sixth grade for our friends who live in Chicago. And like, even before then for some of them to make sure that they're up to par right. by that time. So, so sixth grade, you got to start thinking about how you're going to get into the high school. High school, you got to start getting into college and then college, you're like, oh, you got to go find a job. Like it's, it is this race and you miss your life. You do. You miss it. And there's so many things like all, this is what I want everyone to understand. What we're doing the race to nowhere for, like, let's break it all down. Why do we put kids through this rigmarole? Like, because why do we do this? we are scared that they may not, I think if you get to the root of it, you want, we want our kids 
to be whatever, happy, independent, successful, and all that. And in order to do that, you need to have a job. And I would say, come at it from the other direction. I was giving him this loop is that you're like, we are scared. No, what we really want is we want our kids to be happy Mm -hmm. and have a life that they enjoy and appreciate, right? Whatever that means. Now, if we're not self-aware as parents, we may have a, we may identify with a certain life that is happy where we'll say, this is the only way you'll be happy is if you live here and do this and do this work because we're not self-aware enough to let our kids be free and figure that out for themselves. But for the most part, because we all love our children, we want them to do well in life um, and feel good about who they are. But we put them through this like ringer Mm -hmm. where they're not happy, where they're stressing out the anxiety level. So just so all of you know, and you know this, but I work with teenagers and I work with college students. There is not one of them that doesn't report being stressed. Or and when I when my college students tell me they're stressed because they all raise their hand every semester, every year, and we always go through, what does that mean? What is stress? Stress to them is pressure, expectation, overwhelm, not enough sleep, not being good enough, trying to like fit through this tiny crack that it doesn't it doesn't acknowledge their self. Mm-hmm. So they're living from this place where they're doing everything for other people. And they don't even know who they are. We go through this whole part of in my class about what play is and what play means to them. And it's like they change as people for that for that day when we talk about it. Like, what is it that's playful to you? And of course, they always start by saying, this is dumb or this is dumb. And then it's not dumb. It's like what you love. And yeah. you should... I, it's funny, Todd, because you, I always start my lecture that day about you. Oh. I always say very how, profound, sweetie. I always say how you know when we're talking about play. I say my husband. It, we but we have two minivans, which is you know kind of funny. Why have one <laughs> minivan when you could have two? And in the back of my minivans are baseballs, baseball gloves, frisbees. Um, what else do you stuff. have in there? Bocce balls. Uh, it takes up the whole back of our car. Sometimes to the point on your your paddleboard. Todd plays. And I know you're going to say, I wish I played more than I do. But for the most part, Todd, whenever we're going to Galena or we're going to Florida or whatever, I'm packing things for the girls, packing clothes. You're packing toys. And board games. And board games. This is my husband. He plays. And so he knows that's his like Jedi power is he's great at games. He loves to have fun. And so he makes it a part of his life. He's 47 years old. Don't ever let go 46, of that. 46, I think. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. You're going to be 47 in May. Right. You might as well just accept it today. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're trying to get me to be the same age as you. <laughs> you're already there. Um, so my point is, is we we like, or the, the one that's most important that I focus on with you, you play basketball. Mm-hmm. You're not competing with a team that's going to give you a trophy. You're not like, I have to win every time. You're not like, oh, I hope that the coach sees that I'm doing a good job. You're just playing. For the sake of the act itself. Exactly. And that's something that we miss is we think unless I'm, or, or same with drawing. People be like, oh, I wasn't a, I wasn't a great artist in school. Who cares? Nobody is... Nobody, you don't need to be graded on things to do it. You know, you don't need to have someone tell you you're great at it to do something you love. Quick sidebar, I remember um, I used to fall into the trap, like, whatever, our daughters, when they were younger, started dancing, yeah. enjoying dancing. Like, okay, we got to get them into a dance class yes. right away. Yes. And you, in a very intelligent way, said, why? Yeah. Be like, well, if they like doing this, they need to cultivate that skill. And the way you cultivate that skill is to model yourself after people that have done it longer and know better. And uh, and you're like, well, maybe she just wants to dance yeah. in the living room. Yeah. And that's it. I say that because it's a really powerful lesson for 
us parents are who are out there, you know, for with kids between seven and I don't know, thirteen or something yeah. like that. You don't necessarily now they may want to go sure, and if that's the case, let them or and or you know make it support easy them. support yeah. them, but they be like, no, I don't want to. I just want to dance in the family room yeah. to music. And yeah. I don't want and what's interesting I can say about one of my daughters is that she was a dancer always and always has been moving. And and like Todd said, you know, we would occasionally say, Do you want to take a class? No, no, no. I don't want to. And we're like, fine. Just you know, she was just moving. And then when she got to be about, I don't know, nine, then she said, I want to take a class. She took a class that wasn't great. And she came out of it and said, I just want to dance on my own again. And then she wanted a class that was a little more disciplined, Mm -hmm. interestingly enough. And she found what fit for her. But if she hadn't liked that, it'd be like, just just dance. Like, it doesn't matter if you are on a stage performing, but if you want to be on a stage performing, here's what you can do. You know, it's kind of like what we do is we beat these things out of our kids because we compare and we contrast and we notice the awards or the lack of awards and we say you're either good at this or you're not and it's either simplicity is just understanding and embracing joy for the sake of joy that's simple yeah what becomes difficult is when we compare and we make a decision that because nobody in the outside world is saying you should do this we're deciding we shouldn't instead of i just like it I'll tell you guys something, and Todd's going to laugh because I haven't had my shoes on in six months, but I really think that there's an inner tap dancer inside of me. I don't, I'm not going to compete. I'm not going to be on a stage. Um, I don't know when, know when I'll put on my shoes again, but I love having my tap dance shoes. Yeah. I've taken classes. Sometimes I put on a YouTube video and I practice certain steps. You, If you were like, oh, tap dance for me, you would not be impressed. Yeah. But I like the sound. I like the feel. Mm-hmm. I like it. Like, And I like having tap dance shoes. But it's not for anybody else. What's so interesting is during one of my retreats, uh, I run an annual retreat with guys. And I found out while I was talking to a buddy of mine who was at the retreat, he's like, I want to be a singer. I want to be a singer. And we do this one ceremony where we're just kind of like uh, bringing up things that are hard to bring up. And he brought up his thing to his his love for song, mm-hmm. his love to sing. And I invited him without really his permission. I said, would you like to sing in front of us right now? And he thought about it and it took a long pause. And then he said, yes. And he sang this Billy Joel song and it wasn't that good. And it was beautiful because he was doing mm. it. You know what I mean? It was good, but not like, oh, you're a professional. Right. It like, was good it's it not came like, from the heart. You know, because like, the, the Hollywood version of that is he like belts out this right. unbelievable he's a, he's, thing. Right. And he's just saying like a normal guy, like, like the man. rest of us. Yeah. But it doesn't matter no. how good you are. No. It matters that he did it. Yes. And it makes his heart sing. Yes. Like Maddie J. Yes. This is this is what I mean. Like if I were to tap dance in front of someone, they'd be like, oh yeah. but it's not for you. I literally like the feel. Mm-hmm. And he wants to hear his voice and he wants to have that experience. And that is joy and that's simplicity. So going back to equifinality. Inside out living. It's inside out. And so going back to equifinality is that there are many different ways to joy. There are many different ways to money. There are many different ways to success. And there's many different ways to a life that is meaningful. Yeah. And it is not one narrow path. And this guy who was uh, Brett Weinstein, who was on Dax's show, he's a guy who in high school was like, he like, I don't know if he dropped out, but he wasn't doing well and people didn't think he was smart and he struggled with certain things. And he kind of had that feeling of, I'm just not a responsible, determined person. And he ended up, he and his wife got married early, had children early. He was living hand to mouth. You know, it was not easy. 
he ended up taking kind of like focusing on what he loved and taking this really random path where he ended up getting his PhD at Harvard. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying to everybody, if you do what you love, you end up at Harvard with a PhD, but people who knew him when he was 17 or 18, they never would have thought this. This is all about, as parents, we need to be curious about who our kids showed up to be. And too often, our own baggage of our own parents dictate how we guide these young men and women that we're raising. And instead, look at it with an empty mind, become fascinated with your kid. And you're like, oh, my kid, all he wants to do is game or whatever. Maybe this kid is supposed to game. Like, I don't know. Or maybe the reason this kid is gaming is because everything else in his or her life is so heavy and there's so much pressure and there's so much tutoring and there's so much, how'd you do on the test? And there's so much, don't you want to try on for the team? And so it's their numbing agent. You have to remember that video games can be a numbing out time. Now, Netflix is also a numbing out time. Wine is also a numbing out time. So it's not inherently bad. But if you've got a kid who's like, nothing else in life means anything to me but this, it can be an indicator of, okay, how do I give them release valves in other areas of their life? Like, how do we, it's not about my kid has a problem, they were born this way. It's about they're moving towards some kind of simplicity that is different than inherent simplicity. Yeah. They're moving toward more or less pressure and it's an anxiety reliever. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, how do we, and having that conversation with them. Yeah. And maybe instead of get off the damn game, it's time to get off the game or whatever. First thing is, and you know, I'm going to, probably knock your socks off by saying this, they have scholarships for gamers now, I know. which is weird. So it doesn't mean like encourage your kid to game 20 hours a day. But it's but, a thing. But what it means is saying, hey, you're gaming, that's great. Um, keep doing that for the next 90 minutes. And then we have to like balance out with some of this other exactly. stuff. But maybe these 90 minutes aren't enough for, for you to maybe get a scholarship someday if and when you want to go to college. Like instead of being combative, be on their team. Like you and I are doing these talks with parents and in the end it's all about just being on the same team as your kid instead of being an opponent exactly because the opponent part is where they do want to game all the time and be away from you yeah so connection is help me understand this and so like todd was just saying you know he's going to the extreme version of maybe they'll end doing this for a living which my nephew always said that he loved gaming and he said i want to be an engineer and make video games guess what he's doing at at iowa state now i don't know if he's going to do video games but he's becoming an engineer so it's interesting how like sometimes that is our path but for kids who maybe that's not going to be their path what else are they getting out of gaming are they connecting with kids who are in their class yep. online, you know, while they're playing the game? Are they connecting with kids all over, you know, in different countries? Does it playing feel a need, inherent need for some kids to compete against other kids? Like right. there's so many good things that can come out of these games. And there's also bad things. Correct. Like this Too is much. not right. This is not, oh, games are great. It's and this is just an illustration of anything that your kid is dealing with, whatever whatever it is to, you know, you think they're with their friends too much or with they're not with their friends enough or they're, you know, spending too much time at school or they don't want to get up to go to school. Like, the, you know, the game, the gaming illustration that we're using here is just an example of anything that's going on in your kid's life. To back up, and as we always say on the show, take a wider perspective of what's happening and why rather than my kid isn't determined, my kid doesn't have grit, my kid's lazy. You are looking through a really narrow lens of what you perceive that means and what you think they should be doing based on your life experience and what you've been told. And if you haven't been self-aware 
about your experience and what your goals and desires are and what makes you come alive, then it's very difficult to understand that your child has the same kind of mm-hmm. wiring. That once you learn, this is why the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding, is because when you understand these things in yourself, you look at your child through that lens and you're like, how do I? And it doesn't mean that they won't struggle or drop the ball or be irresponsible. You've got to let them be human. Yeah. Like it, this, when we say these things about simplicity and do this and do that, you can't be like, well, I did that, and then they made a poor choice, or they were irresponsible. Yeah, because they're a teenager and they're human, and you roll with them through that too. You help them, you support them through it. You, you know, you be by their side when they're having challenges. Because then, when they go out in the real world, they've integrated that sense of support. Yeah. Because they're going to have challenges in the when they go out on their own too. So, I'll just finish with equifinality. You know, my last statement about it is why I like the word is it embodies everything that I've always believed, Mm. which is we all have different paths. We all have different ways to getting to what we all want for each other, which is a sense of appreciation of our life, right? I'm not going to use the word happy because that's fleeting. It's a sense of I believe in who I am. I have a sense of worth and I belong here. Yeah, I have purpose. And I belong here. And if that's what we want for our kids, recognize that it's going to look different, not only for all kids that you meet, but maybe the kids in your own home. Yeah. I have three children and I don't believe that they're all going to take the exact same path, nor should they. Nor do I believe their personalities should be the same. Their reactions should be the same. They all have different paths and we all have the possibility of ending up at the same place. Mm-hmm. You know? So that is my thought. Sweetie, is it too late to register for the Zen Parenting Conference? No. Oh, how would one register? Go to zenparentingradio.com or zenparentingconference.com and register. There, my uh, pre-conference workshop shop is sold out. It has been for a wah, while, but wah. the you can get a ticket. Your teens are invited. We have more teens than ever coming this year. Yeah. Um, we have more people than ever coming this year. Um, teen ticket is only $25. Um, and you know, jump in. I want to talk about, uh, one of our sponsors that's going to have a tabletop. Uh, Anne-Marie Tresso, um, has a website called bring it, bring it home. Hold it. I want to, I don't want to screw this up. Bring it home. Me. And, but she has a podcast herself Yes. and it's called university. And the podcast is intended for college students and parents of college students. And I've listened to a few of them and they're really good. And she's also going to have, um, a book called little seeds journey that she'll be selling at the conference. I just liked that Facebook page. Oh, did she you? has a Facebook page for the book, little seeds journey. So, uh, check out the podcast university and, um, meet Anne Marie at the conference. She's a wonderful friend and a wonderful supporter of what it she's is good, that you and I do. She's a good teacher. She is. Um, and then we have some iTunes reviews. Uh, helpful, humble human advice from Elkie Cora from Australia. Mm. Good eye, mate. Oh, boy. I'm sure... Um, Nobody says that. People to. from Australia can't stand that. <laughs> Sorry, Elkie. Um, Han Sandwich from the USA says that we're a treat and a treasure, sweetie. Oh, thank you. Han Sandwich. I, I like, like that. It. And then Mart Happy from Canada loves Zen Parenting Radio. Thank you. So thanks to all those people that gave us uh, re- reviews. Uh, we do these Zen talks with Team Zen. Zim- Team Zen is uh, a virtual community, zero pressure, 100% support. And uh, we just did a Zen talk last Friday. Thank you, Kim, for our tagline. Uh, and Kim actually has a question. She has an uncoachable, ki- uncoachable kid who is a perfectionist. Okay. Megan had a question about her 10-year-old with anxiety issues. And then Anita has um, 
had some issues because she feel, feels she's either too strict or not strict at all. Okay. And then last was Matt. I love when guys ask questions. Uh, he lives apart from his six-year-old daughter and he's struggling with connection. Yeah. So that was last Zen Talk. The next one is on February 22nd. If you're interested, go to uh, zenparentingradio.com and uh, go to Team Zen and I'll tell you more about it. Um, and then I want to talk about Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty. He's our uh, partner, painting and remodeling throughout Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800. And I want to say one more thing. Last night was the Grammys because we're taping this on on a Monday, I thought the girls and I and Todd kind of watched, but he was on his computer. I was watching. Um, we we loved the Grammys, and I haven't loved the Grammys that much in many years. So I know that many of you can understand what I mean. Like I thought I had lost track of music, and really last night I was like, "This I know." I get, and even the songs I didn't know, I loved. I enjoyed the. There were so many good performances, and for those of you who um, you know liked Brandy Carlisle's performance when she sang the joke, we actually did a show all about that song. We did. Uh, it was before the nominations even came out. It was, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago. It was early December. Yeah. And I, I just put it on Duffy's page because he talked about the joke. And I said, just so you know, we did a podcast on it. The show is actually called The Joke. Yeah. So um, that was amazing. And Gaga was amazing. And um, yeah, Alicia Keys, come on. There yeah. is no more. <laughs> she's so talented. Yeah. I mean, she when she did that thing of all the songs she wishes she had written. I know. I was like, this is amazing. Like the gift she was given. Her almost, native genius. Almost makes you feel like um, bad about yourself because she's so talented. <laughs> well, you know what she did? She embraced all those pieces of herself and you're talented too. You just don't have her talent. You yeah. have your own. And that's kind of the whole point is don't try and be Alicia Keys. No. Try and be Todd Adams. Yeah. All right. I got to go. Um, all right, I'm going to play the music. Uh, the joke is podcast number 469, by the way. Um, and I guess that's it. I guess I want to just tell everybody to keep trucking, and we'll see you next Tuesday. And register for the conference and join Team Zen. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio so you never miss an episode, and feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Do you want more Zen parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's 25 bucks a month where you'll get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions. If you can't join us live, don't worry. You can still access all Zen talks through the Team Zen podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page and get discounts on everything that we offer. Get your tickets for our annual Zen Parenting Conference on March 8th and 9th, 2019. Sweet. Get your brave on with Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambeck, Julie Lithcott-Hames, and Devorah Heitner, and enjoy a weekend in a warm and friendly environment of like-minded people. Tickets are available at zenparentingradio.com. Sweetie, it's going to be off the hook. I know. Um, interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. They're not your three books. Well, your three books. Thank you. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us on our homepage. It doesn't cost you anything, but we get a small commission from Amazon. Um, guys, want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationship with loved ones? Good news. I coach guys. We can talk in person, by phone, FaceTime. You choose. If you're in Chicago, contact me about the tribe. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. And don't forget about our 2019 Unplug, Connect, and Transform Retreat. More, more on that later. Special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft, from Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support, Jeremy. Sweetie, he's a bald head of beauty. I know this. All right, everybody, keep trucking. See you next week. Adios.